LLP, the Lawyer Life podcast, where the personal, professional, and political intersect. Each week, we cover a topic to help ourselves and other lawyers navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. On today's episode, we have our second installment of Book Club. Book Club. We're talking about Michael Lewis's work, Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game asking ourselves, how can legal industry evolve to recognize true value? I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tanelli. Home run, Darlene. Hello. Hello. Let's hope so. This podcast. I am very excited run. for today's show. This is right in my wheelhouse. This is yes. true, authentic Mike right here. Baseball meets law. Baseball meets law. And finding value and efficiencies where they lie. So this is really, this aligns, if there's like a Venn diagram of my three favorite or things I spend most time thinking about, this might be it if you add family. Wow. Okay. Sounds like a perfect episode. Why don't we just jump so, in? Yeah. So you've read Moneyball and I've read Moneyball and we've both seen the film starring one Brad Pitt, correct? Correct. Great film. Oscar nominations came out of that. It's a good movie to rewatch too, I find. Yes, I like the the main character. I forget his name, but the acting that he does is awesome. Brad not, Pitt? Not Brad Pitt, the other guy. Jonah Hill? Jonah Hill, yes. He's great. Yeah. It's been a while. Directing, we directing movies now, getting much acclaim for that. Yeah. Um, so, for those of you that haven't read the book or seen the movie, I'll just break down what Moneyball is. And first of all, it's written by Michael Lewis, who's written many other works, including everything from The Blind Side, which also turned into a movie. I get a lot of his books turned into movies. Um, and The Big Short and many others. And he kind of, he focuses on, in many of his books, kind of uh, economies uh, and, and figuring out, you know, how capitalism drives efficiencies and so on. And that, that plays into this book, even though it's about baseball. But the premise basically goes back to the 2002 Oakland Athletics baseball team. We're going to draw parallels between this story and the legal industry. And I think it lends fairly well. So listen to this, Darlene. Let's pretend this wasn't even about baseball. Uh, think about this. It's an industry. We're talking about an industry dominated by traditional methods, um, particularly, you know, ongoing in a way that was traditional in like the 19th century and focusing on, um, you know, success in the most traditional ways. Uh, it was an industry dominated by very few large, historically important and wealthy companies or teams. And it focuses on a company, the Oakland A's, the baseball team that doesn't have, it's not big, it's not historically important, it's not wealthy, uh, but it needs to compete with these huge players, these huge teams. Michael Lewis chronicles the general manager's kind of focus on value in baseball in this instance and, and, and what the industry didn't see. And basically what came out of it is that he found a way to structure a baseball team that no one else knew how to do. Uh, and was as successful as the big players. He spent a third of the money and made the playoffs and was as good as the Yankees until the playoffs where they where they happened to lose. So the themes basically are insiders versus outsiders, um, using data um, to kind of flatten hierarchy. And also, as Michael Lewis puts it, the ruthless drive for efficiency that capitalism demands. So a very fascinating thing. And I think if you look at where the legal industry is now, I think a lot of parallels can be drawn because it's that same sort of thing. It's, you know, rooted in tradition and the way things have always been done and, and kind of an aversion to change. Uh, and we're seeing some players come through some, uh, you know, some new 
those with a new approach come through to say, hey, we could actually do this in a completely different way um, that that really recognizes value where, you know, the traditional players don't necessarily see that value. So uh, off the top, Darlene, do you see this kind of uh, mirroring or am I just uh, nuts? The way that we started talking about this and the reason that we we thought that um, that this might be a good topic for this podcast is that we were talking about what makes good teams. And for me, um, it was sparked recently by just being reminded of a lawyer that I used to work with who was really sort of what I would call, he was described as, um, you know, the consummate team player. And he really was. And he was sort of the, um, the guy who always had the knowledge. He knew the law cold, you know, and yet he was not a partner at a firm because the skills of being a partner are sometimes a little bit different than that. Usually they're more focused on business development, um, you know, delegating work to associates and stuff like that. So we were, we were sort of riffing on that before this podcast and we realized that um, there was a tie-in to Moneyball and, and how do you build a good team and how do you see value where you previously didn't see value? So uh, there's a lot of talk in the legal industry right now about how do you restructure the business model? And to me, we are a people business. I think baseball is a people business. <laughs> and I think both have this shared tradition this shared idea that's very fixed of what makes a good player. And then I think what is so interesting about Moneyball, and maybe this is what I would like to apply into the legal world, as you've said, is just how do we, how do we take that data, really? Because what he's done is a data-driven approach where he, it was like an obsessive analysis of statistics. And I think we in law don't even have any statistics other than um, billable hours, which to me is just a very brute force um, stat on how someone's doing. I mean, to me, the metrics are uh, repeat business, uh, client satisfaction, which is measurable. You know, that's a very measurable thing. And, you know, number of complaints, that's measurable. Um, like there are a number of things that you can, you could really build in. And then, you know, respect from peers, respect from support staff, that's huge for me. Um, you know, how do you treat people? all of this stuff, because you can have someone who bills a ton of hours and is just a complete cancer for your, your organization. So um, anyway, that's a, yeah. that's a long and way of me sort of tying together why I felt, although I am not a baseball fan, um, I am, this will be so horrifying to you, but I am the person who shows up in like the sixth inning and that's enough baseball for me. <laughs> that's, I've never tied in here. But um, here's so I think what you're what you're speaking to it, it's what kind of the the book starts with is the industry recognizes what is called in baseball um, loud tools. So in baseball, a loud t- tool is like you hit home runs or you throw the ball really hard and really far. Um, you know these really obvious, uh, really overt indications that you're a good baseball player. And what has happened since the Moneyball era, you know, brought in um, by the 2002 Oakland A's, um, is that actually the industry has stopped rewarding the loud tools and has started to reward those who do the more quiet things. So, you know, you've outlined just now what is, you know, these kind of new ways you could evaluate actually how, how good a lawyer is at their job. In baseball, a, new, a whole new set of statistics were created. Um, you know, in the Moneyball era and continue to be really important. So instead of evaluating how many home runs do you hit, which could be, you know, the corollary could be how many clients have you brought in, they actually look at overall value, a stat called wins above replacement. I'm not going to get into it too far, 
but it's actually like, how many wins do you bring the team in a year overall? And what we're trying to achieve, all we're trying to do is win. We're trying to make as many wins as possible. How many are you responsible for? And that's a number that is, you know, informed by a lot of different factors. So just as you've laid out client satisfaction and all these other pieces, that's actually return business. That's the sort of thing we should actually be looking at instead of those loud tools of, oh, they can go into a room and network really well. Um, and, and, and perhaps that's where the hidden value is in the industry currently. Well, and that, that whole, um, the business development side is just, it's, it's its own skill. You know, it's one skill. You can't run a firm without someone that is good at business development. You also can't run a firm without someone who's good at law. That's like, or who knows the law cold on a subject. You, that's not possible. Um, and you can't run a firm without someone who's interested in innovation these days. I mean, there's a good balance. You need people who are good with culture and you need that person who's a great mentor. Um, like I, I can say with one in my old section at my firm, there was someone in my, on my team who was just a really inspiring all around star, um, really, really, you know, generous with his time. And I learned a lot. And there was similarly, um, sort of an elder stateswoman of the firm who was very generous with her time, completely different style, very understated, really drove a lot of business to the firm without any traditional business development, mm -hmm. just because she was known for doing what she did and very different people, you know? And I think I was, uh, I was kind of struck as, as we were preparing for this episode, just with the variety of skills that combine to make a firm, but yet how much sort of pressure there is. And we talk a lot on this podcast about pressure. There's so much pressure to fit into this one mold, like be a great advocate, you know, win, bill, um, do the FaceTime, do the hard work and the hours. But I think, I think that we will all benefit from a profession if we take a more stats driven approach. And then we we take better stats. Like how did this guy in Moneyball decide on what the stats were? Well, because it, as it, I it comes down to ultimately like what the step, they took a step back and they said, okay, what, it, what are we trying to achieve? What do we need to do to have a good season? And, they, and what you have to do is win a lot of games. How do you win a lot of games? You score a lot of runs. How do you score a lot of runs? You get people on base. So then the priority was, okay, so instead of looking for somebody with a loud tool, like able to hit home runs, we just need to find a bunch of batters that can get on base and a bunch of pitchers that stop people from getting on base. So they, they simplified it. And then they also recognized that there's many ways to do that. And I think that's what you're getting to is you can build a team of people with really diverse skill sets that all drive to that same common goal. So, uh, you know, it, there's, there's, for example, uh, in the book, they talk about a pitcher named Chad Bradford who throws really weird. He never got much play by other teams because he doesn't throw like other pitchers and that scared everybody away, but he's really effective. Right. So being his authentic self of like, I'm just going to throw the ball from what's called a sidearm position. Um, which is very low. Uh, he throws the ball that way. That's how he did it, but the results were great. So they brought him on the team and he had a great career because of that. Um, so again, just looking at, he keeps people off base. We don't care how he does it is, a, is certainly a different approach. The same could be, you know, as you mentioned with this elder stateswoman, she brings clients in. We don't care how she does it. That's just the result. So actually focusing more on the result and what you're trying to truly achieve instead of, you know, the easy narrative and the big flashy tools. Well, and the other thing, so two things on that, 
just I'll go back to in a second, but the pitcher example that you gave with the sidearm is a good one for diversity, which is an increasing focus for firms, right? Like it's, it's very much, um, I think the firms are making a good effort to move away from their own sort of bias and our own bias, I should say, of thinking a successful lawyer looks like this, talks like this, has these experiences, resume checks, the following boxes, et cetera. I think people are realizing that again, it takes a lot of different skills and someone who maybe doesn't fly as well in the like interview design to find fit might be a truly spectacular lawyer for a number of reasons that don't come through in an interview. And that's, that's positive. Um, the other thing that I would say is that the, the thing about the elder stateswoman that I mentioned is that her clients were lifelong clients. So she brought in clients in her thirties for the firm that were still clients when she retired. And to me, that is huge. You know, that's like, that's the type of relationship that to me, that should count for triple the business development. You know, every year that a client stays, that's something that's way more valuable than, hey, I'm a really good cocktail party networker, but I overpromise and underdeliver, right? Like those are different skills and the value of those clients, like lifetime value of clients should be relevant as well. Um, and then it's also a better metric for the firm because then everyone is incentivized to do you know better work. Yeah, and so. that's again taking a look at data. Similar in the book, there was a, a player that the A's brought on named David Justice, who was at toward the end of his career, and all the other teams gave up on. But they looked at the numbers and said he's so consistent at getting on base, and that was what they knew they needed. And so they they gave him a shot when other teams were kind of laughing at them for doing it, but they were. They looked at the real numbers and said, holy smokes, you know, this guy's almost a guarantee. Uh, and so another great example uh, that's consistent uh, across the two. One other thing, you know, in the talk of diversity, and I think of the talk of actually accommodating people who they really are and what their true strengths are. There's another example in the book. There's a, a player named Scott Hatterberg who was a catcher, but he had an arm injury. And so he couldn't throw really anymore, especially not well enough for a catcher. So every team gave up on him. But again, he was still very good at getting on base. So the A's reached out to him and said, we really value your your ability to get on base. We're going to find a different position for you where you can basically be accommodated to make sure that, you know, you can focus on the thing you're really good at. Uh, and don't worry about your arm. Like, we're going to put you somewhere. So they put him at first base and that, you know, don't have to throw a lot there. And that worked out very well. He wound up hitting a really important home run for the team at a, at a critical moment. Most teams would just look at one perceived flaw, um, you know, and, and that's in a tra traditional sense and write him off. But again, they looked at him for who he really was and what, her, what his strengths really were. Uh, and then both uh, the player and the team benefited from that. Well, and it's so powerful because you're saying that once you define the goal as to get on base, right? Like, I don't know that every law firm, I guess, should go through the episode or the uh, exercise of figuring out what the goals are, right? And I don't think it's as simple as bill the most hours. I mean, that's not, that's not a goal. That's just how, you know, that's not a goal. So when you think about what the goals are and, and you reshape it to say, we need to get as many people on base as possible. I love that idea because it's incremental, right? So it's saying, yes, we need wins, but there's a way to get to the wins. Great. And then the other thing is, it dispenses with this idea that because you have a flaw, you're of no value to anybody, which I think is, um, you know, maybe people don't say it quite that bluntly, but I think, I think it feels that way, especially when you're just starting out at a firm, you don't know 
that it's okay to not be great at everything. We've talked about that on, on previous podcasts. I think as lawyers advance in their careers, they specialize and they become more confident about the things that they do very well or maybe better than anyone. Um, but that's a hard, it's hard to put people on the team if you don't know what your objective is other than winning. Yeah. And and so I, I suppose the, the overall thing that we can take uh, from the, from the book is that when you are in a situation where, you know, it seems like you have an insurmountable um, goal that there are just these huge players uh, that, you know, take up all the space there, you know, you can leverage uh, data, you can leverage new technology to find a new approach to doing something. And that's the exciting thing about where we are as an industry now is that, you know, this technology and, and the access to data and to do these things is available more broadly. And also, you know, just the ability to provide legal services because of technology is, is made available more broadly to folks. So, you know, where do you see the industry if, if, if we are, you know, in the equivalent of the 2002 position of the Oakland A's? Um, first of all, I guess, do you see us there? And second of all, what do you think the industry um, can do to, to try to reshape and remold and find value where we don't see it? Well, I'm finding this very um, thought-provoking for sure, just for my own organization. I, I do think that there's something to be said for the idea that um, getting on base is the goal. I know we've talked about that, but um, it changes things, right? So the idea is there are only a few people who can you know, it, to use the basketball example, we do have a strong tie-in with sports in our That's football, true. actually. So on our first book club, we did Relentless, which was focused primarily on basketball. Um, inadvertently, we chose Moneyball uh, not to continue the sports theme, but we do, I think sports is a piece of this podcast um, because it's a piece of Mike Yay. Anderson. <laughs> I would not say it's a piece of Darlene, but I, I have an interest. So again, I'm, I'm more interested in the high performance angle of it. Um, in the basketball world, there are few people who can slam dunk like Michael Jordan, for example. There are a few people who can hit a home run like uh, Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. that's amazing. Insert correct number. Um, yeah, Babe sure. Ruth? Go Babe Ruth. He's a modern. Mark McGuire? You're still, you know, about 20 years back, but that's fine. We're all good. These are all great examples. This is about the last time I watched uh, baseball on TV. Um, anyway, so people who hit home runs are rare, but people who can get the ball onto the base are not rare. And I think that's kind of, you know, it, it's an interesting thought for law because, as we've said, there are so many skill sets that can advance a file. And then there are certain skill sets that need to close the file. And I guess in some ways, the traditional law firm model recognizes that, right, with associates. So um, people with less experience handle the more uh, new or the, the pieces of the file that are less complicated. And then as you move up the sort of experience ranks on the file, someone who has done it a thousand times, but a very particular thing uh, is looped in just for a small piece. That is kind of how law firms work today, which is good. I just think it's not, um, I don't think we as an industry have, have explored data in any real way. And I think it would be, it would be positive for us to do that and to get, so we're, we're looking at diversity. I think there's a ton of good stuff happening on diversity. I'll talk about that in my goods, but we're not, we're not yet tracking 
why diversity is important. So, and we're not yet sort of really filtering it into how do we build our team in a way that at the end of the day advances the client's agenda. I think law firms are looking for diversity because they know the clients are looking for diversity. But I think that we haven't yet identified, you know, um, and I don't mean necessarily racial or gender diversity at this moment. I mean, diversity, like skills, background, interest, um, you know, sidearm pitching versus <laughs> not sidearm pitching, whatever that is, normal, regular, Overhand, straight up yeah. pitching. I don't know. <laughs> Overhand. See, can you help me out here? We need to, next time we do a sports, you have to give me a little no tutorial before. Um, but yeah, that's what I think. And then do I think we're there in 2002? Um, era. Yes, because I think there's a lot of flailing around that everyone's doing right now. We know that disruption is coming in a, in a large scale way. And we do have, I think it's fair to say, and I don't think we get a lot of credit for this, but I do think that it is not an easy thing to migrate the uh, law business. You know, good things or things that are important to do aren't always easy. Um, but it needs to be done. So I think this is one positive way or one one direction we can come at. Yeah, I from. think the other fascinating thing about the you know the base baseball in two thousand two and and where we are as lawyers now, um, the Moneyball you know the movie really takes the turn into how the A's progress because Billy Bean, who's the general manager of the A's, um, gets the Jonah in the movie, uh, the Jonah Hill character from the book. Um, Paul D. Podesta, who was this young kid uh, who came through with a, it was a basically a math and economics um, wizard um, genius. And he was an outsider to baseball. He was, didn't play baseball professionally. He was not a scout. He was never in a front office of baseball. He was a young kid who understood math. And that, you know, with, with the, also some knowledge of how baseball works. Bringing in the outsider actually allowed them to the A's to have a new perspective and to build a whole new way of doing business. And oftentimes, I think still in our industry, these, you know, we are lawyers. And so we're, you know, in many ways, the equivalent of, you know, the traditional baseball people who came up through the sport, who have always seen the sport for what it is. And, um, the, you know, the perspective of the outsider of the, you know, the person attuned to, you know, math and, and actually figuring, figuring these things out, you know, you see now, firms bringing in folks like that. And it, and it feels like that outside perspective and outside expertise will actually help the industry take uh, a turn and start to evolve. Totally. I call that, you know, well, not just me. I mean, the, the expression is drinking the Kool-Aid, right? I mean, I remember in the music business when I, when I first joined, I was really shocked by how many people in the building were heavy, heavy, heavy buyers of yeah. music. You know, I, I guess that shouldn't be shocking, but I was surprised that there was less of a cross section of music fans because although I was a very big music fan, I was not a heavy buyer of music. That just wasn't my um, my thing. And I would I was sort of more like the usual music consumer that would buy five or six CDs a year at the time and then listen to a lot of music or have a lot of music in the form of mm-hmm. mixtapes and you know things like that um, or single downloads. And so I was in some ways when sitting at the table, a bit of the outsider saying, well, you know, not everyone looks at it this way. You know, not everyone thinks record store day Mm -hmm. is the best day of the year. (laughs) Um, And it is actually statistically an extremely small portion of music buyers that are that extremely high, or at least in the physical world of of music. 
I think now maybe it's a little bit different, but it was always very useful to me to think of it and approach the problem as someone who was thinking about what would make me buy more music. It's a good point. Bringing, I, I wouldn't say I was an outsider, but I did. Yeah, have you had an outsider. Well, it sounds like you had an outsider perspective. The, the the maybe the last thing I might say on this book that wraps it up, I think, fairly well about Billy Bean, who is the subject of the book, the general manager, is is he in a similar way to you was uh, inside, but realized it was a flawed system. So he was a a kid, a very flashy tooled high school kid who was highly sought after by a bunch of major league teams and signed with the Mets and was touted as the next big thing, but his career didn't work out. And he wound up being, you know, in terms of uh, player success, um, kind of a failure. Uh, and that's why he went, then he went into front office baseball. And so Billy Bean being able to look objectively at himself and seeing his lack of success was able to see the flaw in the industry and, and use that approach to change it. Um, and so uh, I, I suppose that's him being authentic to himself for him actually um, taking being objective with who he is and and turn that failure, as we've discussed in many uh, podcasts before, into uh, a, a way to learn uh, something, a significant lesson that changed not only his life and the team's success, but also the game of baseball. I love it. Who knew? Maybe I should uh, learn some current baseball players. Just, just <laughs> wait baseball. for one more year. And then be a big fan of Blue Jays again because they have the best young prospect. By all accounts, this is new stats as well uh, in all Major League Baseball. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who I'm very much looking forward to watching. Anyway, that's enough about baseball. Uh, maybe we'll go to uh, a break for a second and come back with our goods and grapes. All right. Okay, sounds good. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Inter Alia Law, experienced legal counsel when and where you need us. To learn more about Inter Alia, visit the website at spelled I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. Thank you. And we are back to talk about our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support. Gripes are things we find annoying or threatening to all of democracy and the reason why this world will end if we're darling. Hey, I'm actually light today. I have no, uh, although it's been a crazy week, I have nothing um, world shattering. Oh, right. To, uh, well, then it must have been, <laughs> I mean, a relatively good week in the world. Um, that's great. Yes. Um, you have a good then, I imagine. You go my first. I've got simple. a good, but you go. It is the, I think, my favorite luxury of all. New socks. <laughs> it is, I got... Wow. You're very oh, man, to I please. Got, uh, six pairs of new socks. And my, oh my week God. has been... Are they at least, like, do they have drawing huh? them or anything? No. Do they have, like, graphic on them? Or are they just plain socks? Oh, my just, gosh. This is... This is a lesson to all to like oh, delight comfortable, in small things. Semi, they're they're perfect. They're not too thick. They're not too thin. Feel great. Very. I just I new socks. If I was even if I was ever uh, a multi millionaire billionaire, it's like if I'm Jeff Bezos, the only real luxury I need in my life, and this would be a true indulgence, is putting on a new pair of socks every day. And that would be wasteful, but that would be all I would need. Wow. 
This podcast is a source of endless important information. Very excited. <laughs> okay. I have a good, I have a law related. Maybe good. that's more appropriate. Um, I, <laughs> well, no, I think it, it goes. Um, I am, it goes with the episode anyway. It doesn't go with your socks. Um, but I am watching. So precedent magazine here in, uh, Toronto did a story on the on-campus interviews that law students have to go to to or go through to get a second year summer position, which is very important, as most lawyers know who are listening to this, um, in getting your future career off on on the right track. And sometimes in law school, it's presented as you know a sort of do or die situation. Uh, I disagree, but at the same time, it, it's a very pressure cooker type of environment. And um, there was an article in precedent about that and about how um, it's just the the pressure on these students is unbelievable. And I, my good, I guess the gripe would be that that pressure still exists because that happened when I went through 20 years ago. Um, but the good is that one of the firms, Lenzner Slat, instead of having the cocktail party, that is a, a part of the recruiting week that everyone uh, loathes, I would say, I think that was one of the harder parts. You're going around a cocktail party, your classmates are there, you're wondering if you're talking to the right people, if you're just, you know, did you, was it a success? I don't know. Terrible. Um, And you have to get up the next day and go to your other interviews. They did a really great thing. They dispensed with their cocktail party, realizing that it was not such um, an interesting thing for all law students. And they replaced it with a wellness lounge that students can go to just to recharge between interviews um, at their office, I assume, in in downtown Toronto. I thought that was a really great move, partially because it's a bit altruistic. They have a no lawyers policy in the wellness lounge. So it's not like you go and you have have to worry about being on your best behavior in the wellness lounge. It literally is a, a, a bit of an altruistic thing. Obviously, it's good for their brand, which is wise. That's my good. And I have no gripes. That is a very good one. And I have just one more thing to talk about. Um, And um, as many people who listen to this might know, um, the pro bono uh, help centers that that are in the courtrooms in Toronto and Ottawa are set to close uh, because of a $500,000 shortfall. Um, And so uh, whatever your position is on on that, um, I just want to say that there's been some great advocacy and, and passion coming out about access to justice from the industry and particularly one of the people leading it is um, my friend, uh, Aaron Durant, who is a litigator in Ottawa. Uh, and there's been an outpouring of from the profession of folks who are offering up their own personal funds and some firms offering some funds to try to keep these centers open, at least uh, temporarily until perhaps there might be a change from uh, the provincial government or, or federal government to fund these offices, which are really important for folks without a lot of money um, to get some uh, advice. It's nice to see folks in the profession acknowledging that while we are providers of legal services, we should also be um, you know, responsible of making sure that folks uh, without necessarily the means still have access to, to some help. Agree. Yeah, it's That's kind like of both. A great and a good anyway, mixed. Great job, Aaron. I'm really proud of you if you're listening to this, which I will ask you to. Uh, okay, so uh, I suppose that's it for, for this week. Well, nice chatting with you. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Interalia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon. <laughs>